A FIFA World Cup update for Melbourne City FC football schools these school holidays. Bulleen, Kingston, Darabin and Werribee. And Box Hill Action Indoor Sports. New indoor soccer season kicks off in July. On halftime, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego from Fortiegos.com. For auction your car, car auction this Saturday. Oh, he's back in the studio, more handsome than ever, Carlos, g'day. G'day, half, and uh, you know, I don't like to talk about it, but uh, I tell you what, I have... Uh, you know, I used to have a good head for radio. Yes. Great head for radio yeah, good, right great now. Head for radio. And uh, I've got to say that, uh, yeah, look, our travel, mo- I think we've come up with a new tourist uh, slogan for Brazil. Nothing that a, ta- that a tan can't fix. Well, you, you've come here and you, you tanned <laughs> up a treat. I'm not sure what sort of nudity you're getting involved with in Copacabana, Beach, nah. but whatever it is, it's worked a treat. Well, it's almost, look, a, f- almost, almost a, a full body tan. Oh, Half? Ooh, almost. No, no, a bit much info there. Yeah, no, much but info there. if you're gonna if you're gonna go to any place in the world to watch a World Cup, I think I've just been, and unless I have one in my lifetime, I've been to the best place in the world to watch a World Cup. Uh, it is a spiritual home. We talked about all this before I left, uh, and yep. it, it really did uh, stack up to what we were hoping for. Just a terrific thing. And the Aussies uh, were plucky over there too. <clears throat> plucky, we yep. do love plucky. I want to talk about the pluckiness of the Aussies shortly. But you've been at back-to-back World Cups now in South yep. Africa and uh, and Brazil, of course. You mentioned the the history of football and that that impact on the World Cup. But as in terms of South Africa v Brazil, what were the differences from the outside, from not being at the games, from the, the external part of it? Yeah, look, I, I just think, you know, going to South Africa, I suppose you really, you, you knew they've got a football culture. Africa have a football culture. You didn't know where they were going to be ready. You didn't know, I mean, it, you, you sort of found out there how much they loved the game. But you actually go with high expectation when you're going to Brazil, knowing their 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 long culture in the game and the, the passion for the game that runs through everyone there. And uh, I was actually a little bit surprised that uh, that the whole place wasn't awash with uh, Brazilian flags and, you know, World Cup paraphernalia. Okay. Uh, it, it was interesting that that happened, but I certainly didn't see all the protests. Uh, and speaking to a lot of younger people in, in Brazil about the issues with uh, the government spending all this money and not ploughing it into infrastructure – a lot of the younger people were quite happy with the way Brazil is being governed at the moment, and uh, and they felt that there were just small interest groups all around the place that got a lot of the media beforehand. Now, again, when we were over there, there were there were some protests in different areas of, of Brazil that we saw on TV, but uh, you know, people seem very happy over there, and uh, of course, you know, the economy all around the world in every country uh, probably needs a little bit of stimulus, and and probably needs it over there. But you know, people would. Loving the football there, loving that people from overseas were there uh, in their country, really proud of the fact they were showing off Brazil. So uh, yeah, it's just what I expected. I mean, of course, you'll go to the iconic uh, Ipanema Beach and the yes. Copacabana, and then you go to uh, you know, Christ the Redeemer and, and you know Sugarloaf Mountain and all those sort of things. It's just terrific, and uh, and it's what everyone says it is. It's uh, the football and the, the cultural stuff was uh, just what we wanted. What 
about the people that uh, were there and you were the Fort Diego's took a, a tour over there to the uh, Rumba Samba Samba La Rumba La Bumba Tour whatever it was I always get it wrong Carlos Samba Rumba and La Bumba Samba Tour Samba was first I always get that wrong it was always Rumba first Samba Rumba and La Bumba Tour and it was a raging success is what I'm hearing um, but the the passion of the people to get mm. them is wasn't it cheap trip because Brazil's a long way away and the accommodation would have been through the roof because it was a World Cup. Uh, it must have been enormous satisfaction from guys like you mm. for Diego's to who have been so in love with the game for so long and pushing its barrow a bit through the media channels and doing such a great job at that to get people really harnessed into that emotion and taking that with them to Brazil. Yeah, what, I, what I'm loving out of the tours that we do with these World Cups is we're meeting Australian people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is. And like I said, this was not none, none of the tours are cheap. It, I mean, the Brazilians have got the World Cup and in two years' time they've got the Olympics. So everything's double. You know, internal yeah. flights, the flights there, accommodation, food, everything is double the price. Uh, so this was not cheap. And we had people, families on our tour, four or five people uh, of the same family. Yeah, and uh, and we're talking about people who were who probably you know aren't millionaires, uh, all putting their money where their mouth is and going over there and supporting the team wow. and really knowing their stuff. I mean, some of my most enjoyable. Uh, uh, experiences over there was sitting in a bar or sitting on the beach and just talking to people on the tour about football and uh, their knowledge and their passion for it and you know you, you can't question Australians who travel overseas and spend all that money uh, knowing that the Socceroos probably weren't going to get out of the group stage and I just really admire that uh, you know we in the media sometimes get a bit of a free ride we talk and we you know some you know, some of us get paid to do what we do uh, but uh, haven't you been paid for a while no no uh, that's right still yeah the, the invoice is in the mail but uh you know, some of us get paid uh, to do what we do, and uh, you know some of these uh, trips are, you know, uh, we looked after on those trips. But the, the Aussies who who make their way over there, and I think we were the third most, uh, you know, biggest group of uh, nationality that went over there. I think Australia's right. sort of third in line with the amount of tickets purchased. Uh, you know, for that to happen for a, for a team that we all knew wasn't going to go past the group stage, you know, Australians out there who are back here and over there listening to us on the web right now, uh, you know, stand up and rejoice, pat yourselves on the back because you just showed the world how much passion there is for the game in this country. That's uh, good to hear and it's great uh, that people can do that and obviously it's one of those bucket list things for a lot of people too, isn't it, to get to a World Cup, particularly at the home of, in Brazil. Mm. I imagine if, uh, if you'd been saving for that moment, you knew it was coming, you'd been saving for the 10 years or so or five years to to put up the cash for the four or five people from that mm. family you talk about. I mean, that's a huge effort. It would have been rem- unbelievably satisfying to be there and see the, the plucky performance. And I want to talk about the Socceroos and give a get a report card from you, because you were there, and also our listeners, because we haven't really done that in, no. the, in the postscript of uh, the Socceroos campaign. There's been a bit of it through the, the papers and stuff, but we haven't really narrowed that down to the halftime audience to see what they think about the performance. So we'll do that shortly. But Carlos, one of the great things about being overseas in occasions like this is, and events like this, is that there's some very famous people floating around. Very famous people. Any famous uh, run-ins that you come across through the journey? Oh well, yeah. We, we. Uh, I mean, when you talk about on an Australian level, we met Harry Kuehl in uh, in one of the airports, and, uh, and actually, if you get on our Facebook, Facebook dot com forward slash Four Diego's, you'll see uh, um, Pellegrini. Uh, Pellegrini, the manager of Manchester City, was lost one day after the Chile game. Was lost. Yeah, he was actually made his way to the airport. I don't know why he did this, but there were thousands of Chilean supporters, thousands of Australian supporters. Uh, there at the, uh, I think it was a Curitiba um, airport, and he walks in the like where the public walk in. 
Pellegrini. I mean, he just won the EPL title and all the Chileans there, so they mobbed him. And he was <laughs> he was actually in a hurry for a plane, to catch a plane. Didn't know where to go. Is that crowd surf? Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Like, uh, And this guy was running in and out and he's telling people, look, I, I can't keep on taking photos because I, you know, I've got to get to my plane. So he was one. And, uh, and of course, uh, if you get on our website, uh, you'll see a photo where I, uh, I uh, snuggled up to Luis Suarez too. Pardon? Yeah, Luis Suarez, me and Luis Suarez, I yeah, got a Louis photo with him. Yeah, well, actually, he's a guy, he was a waiter in one of the restaurants who looked like Luis Suarez. So uh, there's a photo <laughs> with me and him. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, imposters walking around saying they're, you know, maybe big stars <laughs> or celebrities. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we ran into a few people. Mel McLaughlin, of course, the Diego's uh, mobbed her when we had a chance. Uh, Channel 10 uh, reporter, uh, former Fox Sports. A uh, lovely, lovely girl. What was she doing there? Just, uh, I think she was reporting or? for Channel 10, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, any time you bump into Mel's a good time, I reckon, Carlos, uh, particularly with your tan and how handsome you were. Yeah, I've got a spring in my, in my, in my pants. Yeah, three weeks. Three weeks spring in my pants over there. So. I'm sure Carmen Miranda's too happy to hear about Mel McLaughlin's stories. But anyway, we'll see where that takes us. After the break, Carlos, we'll reset. And we'll come back and give a bit of a scorecard. I want to get your opinion on the Socceroos performances, player by player. And on the back of, you brought this in with you this afternoon, some comments Mark Schwartz have made. Pre-World Cup, pre-campaign. Uh, we'll get our listeners involved. 9429-1116 with your World Cup report card for the Socceroos after this with Carlos Alberto Diego. 20 past one on halftime. Great to have your company. Carlos Alberto Diego is tanned. He's terrific. And he's back with us in the studio this afternoon to go through the Socceroos report card, Carlos. Let's just reflect on um, some of the comments from Mark Schwartzer, one of the greatest ever Socceroos. Pre-World Cup about what uh, he thought about the squad. Uh, the coach and uh, and the players themselves. Yeah, look, I uh, I didn't like what he said, so I'll say that up front. I don't agree with what he said, but uh, he talked about the team not being the best team that could be picked. Uh, he felt guys like uh, Lucas Neal, Brett Holman, um, uh, Luke Wilkshire, when they when they cut him right at the end there, yep. that uh, they are better players than what they had in the squad anyway. He felt the regeneration was too quick. Uh, they, they were rushing it with the nine, the Asian Cup, rather than uh, trying to do their best they can at the World Cup. And the one that really, you know, I, I thought was really interesting was when he said that uh, he didn't feel that the that this, you know, the appointment of an Australian coach was the right thing to do. They should have kept on going with European coaches, and uh, basically slapping the face for Ange Postecoglou. Now, I'm not, I don't agree with any of that, um, and. I don't want to slaughter a legend, but uh, I just felt the timing wasn't right and uh, what he said is not correct either. But I want to throw it out to our listeners because that's the measuring stick. A lot of the – if there was negativity beforehand um, with regards to our team and and our chances – it was based around those comments anyway, whether it be listeners or whether it be you know uh, people in, in football. A lot of the older players, a lot of the former uh, soccerers probably felt the same way. Uh, let's measure it against those comments. Mm. Um, and and uh, let's not shy away from the reality. We played three games. We lost three games, two of which were, were, were good. And uh, we showed some really great signs in those first two games with really bad lapses, amateurish lapses at different times that uh, made us lose those games. And the third game, I thought, were totally outclassed. So in that background there, I really want to throw it out to our listeners. Uh, Was it a successful World Cup? Do you agree with Mark Swartzer? Uh, uh, Tell us what you think. Love to know. 9429-1116. John in Mooney Ponds is first up. He wants to have the crack first this afternoon with you, Carlos. G'day, John. Hi guys, how are you? Welcome back, Carlos. Thanks, John. Um, uh, first of all, uh, now that you throw up the Mark Schwartz thing, I think he's—I uh, have to agree with you. And even after 
Um, all the things that have happened in the last couple of weeks, obviously the World Cup, I, I, I think that um, he's way off the mark still. I don't think there's anything, anything or anyone better that could rep, uh, replace, especially at, possibly at the back. Uh, maybe Brett Holman, but generally speaking, no, I don't think so. And as I said, I think on this show before, I mean, what do we do? We take the spine of um, all the players and then rebuild for the Asian Cup. So, no, I think in overall, yes. One thing that's has, has annoyed me after the whole thing is that there's still people out there that are being negative. I don't shy away that we've lost all three games, and it shows us where we are. But I don't think we were given a chance of crossing the halfway line yet. I think people have realised how close we got in a couple of games, mm. and the assessment has become a totally different. So there's been a few good articles about you know the the, the comments, expectations being relative in context, and I think you know that's that is spot on. So we'll be measured in the next three to four years. I expect Australia to get in the final of the Asian Cup and and and, and should win it at home, and then I think. Um, you know, round of 16 or maybe quarters in um, in the next World Cup. Maybe I'm a bit patriotic, but I'd rather be the uh, glass being half full um, than half empty. Well, John, you know, all those points uh, are what I agree with too. Uh, but the one thing you also made a point is that uh, we lost three games and that can never be accepted. So, you know, honourable failures... Well, Ange hasn't accepted that. No, exact, absolutely. Uh, honourable failures or glorious failures, they're out. Uh, we came into a World Cup... Not knowing what we we're going to get with this, without with with this group against Chile, uh, we were very good for the second half and uh, uh, quite minutes yeah, quite amateurish in that first fifteen minutes, and maybe that was a bit of stage fright. Who knows? Uh, against Holland, I thought uh, we were pretty good for most of the game, but then let let them in just in amateurish sort of a way uh, and lose that game. And in the last game, we were completely outclassed, completely outclassed, which was very very disappointing. So we lacked the depth, and uh, we're still making mistakes uh, in that respect. But um, but what we did see is basically a, a water a water line where what, what our players can do. There were times in the game against Holland where Holland couldn't get the ball off us. There were times against Chileans in that first game, the second half in particular, where they couldn't get the ball of us. Now, we've had European coaches in the past said that Australia can never do that. Australian players aren't able to keep the ball and keep possession. So what I saw and what gives me really hope for the future, that we can maybe bridge the gap and be in the top 20 in the world uh, more regularly than what we have in the past, is this uh, style of play that Ange is trying to impart on our players and give them confidence that you can, uh, you can out-possess the best in the world, but we need to work hard and concentrate and do it for 90 minutes. So for me, any coach from Ange onwards that comes in and says our players can't play a world-class standard of football, a possession-based game that goes at people. And for me, you know, at the interview, you cut that guy off. You know, when he's doing his job interview, that's it. Yeah. You're not coming in. You, there's no chance for you. We need to have people who can believe that the Australian players can play. And we proved it uh, even without a lot of preparation. My biggest problem was uh, in the, prior to the World Cup saying we didn't have enough games. That was the preparation. Just we didn't have enough games, so I was really concerned. And maybe the mistakes we made at the back and some of the concentration areas would be better uh, dealt with if we if the team had played more games beforehand. John, thank you for your call. You've got a SigWorld soccer ball. Spend one fifty dollars on SigWorld products during the World Cup to score yourself a SigWorld soccer ball. You don't have to, John. It's coming your way for free just for being involved. SigWorld.com.au slash kickoff. Appreciate your call. Just on on being beaten by Spain. Uh, comprehensively outplayed, and you said that it was disappointing. It was disappointing because of probably the result, but 
it, I think it did show at the end that whilst we've got to a level, we are. Mm. I think it's a good thing to learn that we are still a long way off being up with the really elite teams. Now, these are the defending world champs. We've gone home early. We all know yep. that. But they would have been livid up until that point. They Great point. They would have taken point. us as a, yep. as a bit of an easy... A, 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 a chance to really stamp themselves and say, right, we've had a bad one, but we can do this. Yeah, great point, Half. And and for me, if we we're going to emulate anyone, and I think Ange has got in mind how he wants this team to play. Yeah. Uh, and he's taken bits and pieces, but it's certainly a possession-based game, and he wants to go at the opposition. It's not. It's un-Australian to sit back and park the bus. Yep. He wants to go at the opposition. If you're going to emulate anyone, don't emulate Chile. Don't emulate Holland. Emulate Spain, because they kicked our backside, Spain. And, you know, we were competitive against Chile for most of that game and also Holland. So, of course, you look at their players and the way they play. You take something from everything, right? But for me, if you're going to look at, you know, what you want to be in four or eight or ten years' time, you look at a team that's absolutely outclassed you. And that Spain game, and just watching those guys just absolutely – we gave – the boys don't – just watching it, we were actually quite close to the ground. So we could really feel – the uh, the work rate and the work ethic of the Australians and how hard they worked that day and the way the Spanish completely controlled that game after 15 minutes first 15 minutes we sort of gave them a bit of a you know a bit of a game but after that the way they can completely control that game and the way they did it through just really clever possession one twos everywhere work rate I mean the Spanish work rate uh, off the ball to win the ball back from the Australians whenever we had it they just had it just had us locked in. And, of course, it might have been a long campaign. The boys had been up for a long time. But that shows we don't have the depth and we still don't, whether it be a coaching issue or whether it be a, a, the way we want to play, we just didn't get it right for that last game. Particularly when you've got Cale Bresciano yeah, and, that's right. and Milligan out of that team. Richard in Caroline Springs. day, Rich. Yeah, g'day, gents. How you going, Carlos? How you yeah, going? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, can I be a point of difference? Sorry, Carlos. Of course you can. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, I'd love to. Tell your story. Um, look, I think in those three games... The way Spain play, the tactics that they use, the first goal is crucial, always. Okay? And mm. Australia, Australia took their chance to that first goal. My bet is that they probably would have won the game. Because it changes Spain's dynamic completely. And Spain are completely on the back foot. But to get that first goal, they had to do the hard yards in that forward press, same as what Chile did and the same as what uh, the Dutch did. Right? To get that. And once you get those opportunities, you've got to take it. So... You know, well, I disagree a little bit, yep. and and I, I I personally do not like the way Spain played boring football. Spain play like Barcelona, pass everybody to sleep, do passes until everybody falls asleep, then score. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty much how they play. Pretty good play, yeah. isn't it? Actually, Richard, just on your point there about uh, about Spain, if we had got the first goal, it could have been a different story. What I've learned from this World Cup, you saw, I think, every uh, every team that won their group is now in the quarterfinal stage. And what I've found, that all these teams have been actually really pushed to the limit in the last 16 stage. So, But the difference between a lot of the teams now is that, absolute faith that doesn't matter where, where you are in the game, that we can come back and win. And uh, we saw it with uh, Holland the other day against Mexico. Right at the end, I mean, they just had so much belief, they ended up winning 2-1. Uh, and we just saw you know Germany the other day against Algeria. Just watching Algeria were really, really as good as they could be. And you thought, gee, they might snatch here. But just know the Germans have so much belief. They've got history on their side, the pedigree, that they were always going to win that game. So I, I don't know whether you can be really, really confident even if you go one or two up against Spain and you're Australia, I don't know if you can actually... I know Holland would be confident because they beat them 5-1. But, uh, yes. but in our situation, um, 
I don't know whether you know, I think the Spanish just showed that they welcomed the Australian pressure in that first 15 minutes. Our best chance was to get something in that early part of the game. I thought we were really combative. I thought we really pressed them high and uh, gave them a bit of trouble. But they almost welcomed that after a while. And when they got into the flow of things, uh, they were just waiting for us to pressure us, pressure them all over the park. And uh, in the end, they were just carving us up. Richard, thanks for your call. Double pass to the Australian Snooker Goldfields Open this week in uh, Bendigo, bendigostadium.com.au. And you're in the draw to win a 2014 Collingwood Football Authentic Guernsey with thanks to Subway and the Magpies. Subway restaurants, your choices have just got even better. Jake and Essendon, we'll get to you before the break. Plenty more people want to have a chat to Carlos, which is terrific, giving a report card on the Socceroos. G'day, Jake. Hey, how are you, boys? Good, thanks. Good, um, yeah, just, just want to make a couple of points. Um, I thought uh, before the World Cup... Um, you know, we probably weren't going to score a goal, so to see us score a fair few was, was good to see. Um, although, but going back to Schwartz's comments, um, I tend to agree with a few of them. Um, I think if we uh, took Lucas Neal or even a Sasha Ognanovsky, uh, that we might have conceded fewer goals than what we did. Um, even Luke Wilshire, when everyone Franich went down, Ryan McGowan was playing a right back and he, he got exposed on occasions in the last two games. Um, so I do agree with some of um, Schwartz's comments, although Ange was good on game day, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, I think if we did have a couple of generals um, at the back, we may have conceded fewer because at the end of the day, we did concede nine goals in three games. And yeah, that's just the bottom line. Yeah, I just, I'm not quite sure. I mean, Spranovic had a good World Cup and I thought Alex Wilkerson probably played his best football too. Collectively was the issue. Um, again, we had the issue with uh, the offside now and again with Jason Davidson hanging back. And But I think that that is a cohesive, cohesiveness that needs to be sorted out by the coach. Uh, I'm not, not sure what sort of conversation he's having with the with the back four, but when someone sits back like that, there is an issue. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I just thought one of the big wins was Spiranovic. The, the way he played, um, I, I think he'll end up going to a big, uh, not a big club, but he'll go, end up going to a European club very, very soon, even though he has in, uh, he signed an extension to his West Sydney Wanderers contract just during the World Cup. Thank you, Jake, for your call. Start on the line. You've won 30 minutes of highly competitive F1 full motion simulator racing, racing even, at uh, motionators.com.au there in the Docklands. You'll love it. And you're in the draw for the Magpies Jumper too from Subway Restaurant's $5 combo all day, every day. Participating stores, back shortly with Carlos. On 11.16 SEM, Halftime with Daniel Harford for Midas and Waverley BMW. Experience the ultimate driving machine today. 23 to 2, Carlos Alberto Diego is with us talking the world game. Uh, having a chat about the Socceroos' performance in Brazil. I haven't even got to the current state of play. The quarterfinals have been sorted. We'll get to that through the afternoon, but uh, plenty of callers on the line want to discuss the Socceroos. Paul and Mitchum is next up. G'day, Paul. G'day, boys. How are you? Going well, Good thanks. Hey, um, look, I don't uh, agree with any of uh, Schwartz's comments uh, because if I, I, I actually remember. Um, and reflect on how we assessed the Socceroos in 2010 after the World Cup in South Africa, and the um, and I guess the uh, the criticism of the the, the, the coach's tactics, and um, and then I compare it to and even, and that's after we had one win, one draw, and one loss, and a really bad loss to begin with, and then I compare it to the, this particular campaign where we've had three losses. Yet I think we're more proud of the team now than we were back in 2010. Yeah, you know, Paul, that's a fantastic point you're making because even in 2005, there were, you know, if you if you actually interview 
privately some of the Socceroos who were playing at that time in 2005, there was big name players, part of the golden generation, who weren't happy with Gus Hiddink either. Because these European coaches don't have the faith that our players can be attacking forces in a game that can go at teams and press high when we don't have the ball. And Ange is the first coach I can remember, uh, and, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, he's Australian, who has this faith in the players, and he's willing to uh, maybe, you know, get a, a few speed humps along the way, but he's willing to put, us, put himself up against the world's best playing a football brand that's a mixture of Australian football, you know, the, the competitiveness and the combativeness and all that sort of stuff, but also try and out-possess the opposition. And that was my biggest fear going into it. I didn't know how we were going to deal with that. I walked away thinking, yeah, we pressed really high against Holland. We were pressing them up near their penalty area, and they still couldn't play their way out. And we did that almost for 90 minutes. So for me, I'm now more confident that Australian players can do it. Ange knew it all, all the way, all, all you know, right from the start. And European coaches don't have that faith. There's, there's that cringe about Australian players that we're just physical and that we, uh, and we just you know, hoof the ball long and put in the mixer and all this sort of stuff. And we need a big guy up front who heads the ball. But Australian, Australian teams and players can do more, much more than that. And if you look at the, the squad that was available to Ange during that World Cup, we missed about six players in Rogic, Cruz, Reese Williams, and you can go through a bit of a list of the players. And after the first game with Milligan being injured and Timmy Carl not being right for the last game and Bresch not playing, I mean, we, we had what people might regard as C-level C soccer routine, and we were still competitive and at times outplayed the opposition. So that's what I've learnt from this group. We've got an Australian coach who believes in it and he's committed to it. And that's why no more European coaches for me. Uh, only, only Australian coaches that are up to it, yep. uh, but just the best coach available at the time. But and showed me that he's the right man for the job. Uh, Paul, good stuff from you. If you. Carlos likes your work. I like your work. 300-piece <laughs> Poker Deluxe chipset. Coming your way from pokerdeluxe.com.au. Plus, you're in the draw for the Collingwood footy Guernsey. Uh, thanks to Subway and Collingwood. $5 combo all day, Rita, participating Subway stores. Good stuff. Nick's in Hocker Hoppers. Good day, Nip. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and Carlito. How are you, mate? Good. Well, my, my take on the, on the whole... Um, well, the last bit you said about um, the coach, I always thought, yeah, you're saying, oh, we're not good enough. Well, why, why go for the European coach? Just have a, a, a Australian-made one or a person here, local. And that, that's one positive. I think my take on um, Ange is, um, is very positive. It's also transparent. That's what I noticed about him straight away. It was, it was transparent. It was truthful. Straight away, it was honest, brutally honest. If, if we're good, we're good. If we didn't go good, it was, it was there. That, that's what I like. That's the, that's the biggest positive about, about the coaching. About the players, well, you've got to have um, Tim Cahill. He's going to probably not be there in the next four years, so that's got to be a big problem. So my take on the overall scheme of things, I, I, would, I would say slightly positive because they scored some goals. Um, they tried, but um, in the end, they probably... There is some positives going forward, but um, there's, there is a worry who's got to score the goals like, like Tim Cahill seems to get. In every um, sort of international game, he's, he always comes out and scores a goal. That, that's probably the biggest problem my worry would be. The, the Kale legacy, effectively, yeah. is what Nick is talking about. And uh, I think it's a, a valid point, a valid question to ask. That You, you mentioned some of those names before, and Williams and Rogic and uh, Cruz that could go up front and be... And Taggart, of course, who's shown mm. a bit this uh, World Cup and got a signing, signed a deal at Fulham as a result. Who are the ones? Who, is there any... 
one capable of playing like Kim, Tim Cale does and having the impact Tim Cale's had for the Socceroos well, let's, in this let, generation. Yeah, let's get the Tim Cale influence into perspective first. Under Holger Osik, um, I still remember the World Cup qualifier up in Brisbane uh, early in the campaign when people were calling for Tim Cale to be dropped. Yep. They were said he, 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 he was playing as a lone prong up front and... Oh. And he, he just wasn't getting any of the ball. He wasn't in games. And his international career looked doomed 18 months ago. So let's put that in perspective. Why? Well, he was playing as an isolated prong, and that's the worst type of prong. Nobody wants to be an isolated, an isolated prong. isolated prong in a team that couldn't get the ball to him servicing. Be surrounded uh, and, and, and really, for me, Tim's been – his international career has been revitalized because of the way Ange wants to play. So it's not all in the air. It's not all, Timmy, you go run up the front there. We'll park the bus while you run up the front because he's never going to do that job for you anymore. Yep. It was all very compact. Let's, let's uh, feed Timmy to his feet. Let's get into areas where we can cross it in. And, you know, the money ball is uh, the classic was when Frenich crossed that in against Chile. No one in the world would have stopped that header, whether it be a defender or, I mean, that was just bread and butter for Tim Cale. So don't, you just don't forget out there when we worried about Tim Cale finishing up that Tim Cale 18 months ago wasn't the saviour he is today. And he, and he wasn't in any, any position at all to score the type of goals he scored against Holland. So I just think, you know, we've got guys developing. We've got, you know, Robbie Cruz will be back at some stage. Leckie was just an absolute fine in the tournament. Everyone I spoke to who wasn't Australian over there, uh, and when I said I was Australian, they, the first thing they wanted to know is, who is this Leckie? Where has he come from? Yeah. And uh, so that's exciting, and he'll only get better. He's only 22 years old. Uh, and there's other young guys around the world playing at the next level that we haven't heard of who are strikers and forwards. And Adam Taggart playing for Fulham, you know, the guy, he's been quoted saying, I know nothing else other than score goals. I don't know how to do anything else in the park. I'm useless on the park unless I'm scoring goals. So this guy's going over there to improve his craft and the business of scoring goals. Now, if he can start scoring them in, in championship football and perhaps he's a young guy, perhaps you know, getting a contract at a higher level, suddenly we, we may have an international rated striker there and there's got to be more of them around. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about that, but it was a very, very special moment when, when uh, Timmy Cale not only scored the goal against Chile, but also that volley. Oh, what a, what a, off the laces. I, I thought he could have hit it better, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the greatest What, what a fantastic moment that was. Ever, I reckon. It was a beauty. John and Glenn Huntley's on the line. G'day, John. I uh, just wanted to talk about Andrew's coach and, and to a certain extent, Buff Lehman's as well. Um, <laughs> I think getting an Australian coach was, was a big plus because um, European um, coaches will tell you what to do. And traditionally, Australians don't like being told what to do, but for our mates... We'll fight monsters. So having Aussie coach in both has lifted our game a notch just simply for paying for your mates. John, I think that point about the Australian coach is an important one. But one thing I want to qualify is he's got to be good enough too. You just don't hire an Australian coach uh, if they're not up to it. Yeah. And Ange is just, for me, far and away the best Australian coach. I mean, even if you're comparing to Graham Arnold, the way he sets his teams up, the way he tries to play possession football, the way he wins games doing that, we see... A lot of the Brisbane Raw in this new Australian side. Uh, he just needs to refine it for international level football. So, yeah, for me, Australian coaches are the first picked only if they're good enough. Only if they're good only enough. Only if they're good enough. Interesting point made off the SMS. Uh, thanks, John, for that. Uh, you're talking about international coaches coming here and thinking it's, we're not capable of playing world-class football. Uh, the SMS says because they worry about their CVs. Yes. 
Absolutely. Ange is probably not worried about his CV. He wants to do the best he can and believes in the players and trying to get them yeah. to the player brand that will be competitive on the international arena. The other blokes just worried, making sure they get a job after it. Absolutely. We saw feedback. that with Pim, Pim Verbeek especially. 13-2, back with more. On 11-16 SEM. Halftime with Daniel Harford for Midas and Waverley BMW. First class service is our commitment. Carlos is back from the... Rumba, Samba, no, Samba, Samba Rumba, Rumba and La Bamba Tour. Yep. He's back in the studio. It's great to have him back. And the Four Diego's are back tonight from 11. Yep, can't wait. It's, gonna be a it's just going to be, you know, family shots. It'll be, <laughs> we just talk about the, 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 the photos we took. Uh, if you want to have a look at some of those photos, facebook.com forward slash Four Diego's. You'll yes. love, you'll, you'll, it's as though you're, you're there with the Diego's. Very, very shortly. A bit of feedback on the Socceroos. Taking some calls, 9429-1116. We'll continue with that, Carlos. Mark in Essendon. G'day, Mark. G'day, boys. I love your enthusiasm, Carlos. But <laughs> you're, way too, you're way too happy about three losses, mate, <laughs> and conceding nine goals at a World Cup. I honestly believe the um, Angers strategy, he, he failed miserably, mate. Failed um, miserably, right? Should I we have gone, uh, Mark, should we gone with Lucas Neal? No. Okay. So, um, but, we, but we should have had Luke Wilkshire there, who, who captained our side only two days before the final cut. Absolutely, but there's a story behind that, Mark. I'm not sure whether you got it back in Australia, but uh, they say it wasn't performance-based, him being cut. There was a few well, things that went on behind the scenes there. Yeah, that just means he uh, didn't agree with what Ange was doing. And I'd, I'd, I'd be listening to Mark Schwartz's opinion about things rather than probably any other so-called expert in Australia. I, I just think he took, a, a, I won't say a way too inexperienced side, because the squad that we took with the available talent, it gets a tick, 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 tick. But there was a couple of guys there. He should have allowed Josh Kennedy an extra week to get right for those last two games. He could have come on in the last 30 minutes against Holland, and he could have come on in the last 30 minutes against Spain. He would have missed the first game, but Luke Wilkshire not going because he didn't fit in with um, Ange Postacoglu is very short-sighted. The World Cup, Carlos, the World Cup is not for practice. It's not for Ange practising for the next World Cup. But, Mark, would you think that Luke Wilkshire could have, could have changed any of the results we had by him playing? By him playing? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make. Our, our back four, I mean, God bless a lot of them. And I, I don't want to mention names, but you know damn well, Davidson didn't know whether to push forward or push back, and he got caught out a few times, which cost us goals. Glad you didn't mention any names. <laughs> well, I, I respect your opinion, Mark. And by the way, I don't accept three losses. Uh, uh, it, it, that, uh, I, I have a real problem um, actually talking too positively about this, this performance because ultimately the record books will say there's three games, three losses. And I don't want to gush over three losses ever. And that's why I think you get one chance at this, and we've, we've done that, and you have no other chances to, to lose games and say that uh, it's all part of the transitioning purpose. I don't think anything he said himself where, where he'll accept that either. So, um, yeah, I respect your opinion, Mark, and there's a lot of people out there with that same opinion. I... When I think, thank you, Mark, for your call, by the way. Stay on the line. $50 voucher from the AFLstore.com.au, your one-stop shop for all your official AFL merchandise needs. Uh, good call. Don't have to agree with us all the time. No. That's what the open line's all about. Oh, when I think about the Socceroos colours, this is how I break it down. I put it in in footy terms, my, my footy terms, Australian rules terms, because uh, that's what I, I, mm. I know. And I, you think about the ranking of the Socceroos. They were the lowest-ranked team at the World Cup, and they came up against the grand finalists, the World Cup, 
finalists from the previous campaign. Now, I know four years is a, yep. a different time, but going on, going on that alone... Unbeaten qualifying Holland. Unbeaten yep. qualifying... Uh, going on that alone, that, I put it in the, the realms that the Socceroos were St Kilda. <laughs> yeah. Or Brisbane. Probably better, more Brisbane. Mm. Uh, a little bit more experienced in there than perhaps St Kilda. So they're Brisbane, and you've got to beat the grand finals from the last campaign, Hawthorne and Frio. That's not going to happen. And then you chuck into Chile, who mm. clearly are a, a, a quality team. So a top eight team. So let's, let's call them Collingwood. Yep. You're not going to win too many of those games. We're not good enough. I think we all know. Mm. We, we were hoping at some stage we might be plucky enough. And the game allows that sometimes to be plucky enough to sometimes snatch one. But if you are, you, you are where the Socceroos are, you are where Brisbane are, what you're about is trying to build a team that's going to be good enough in the long run. Now, the World Cup isn't a, a, a trial tournament. You're ab- absolutely no. right from Mark says. But you play the best group that you think is going to be the best group for, for that time and, perhaps, and even more so for the time after that. And I think that's exactly what Andrew Potter And you did. play it in a way that in four years' time it might win your games. Uh, if, we had, if we had lost the three games and parked the bus, I would have been distraught right now because we haven't gained anything, Right. But I think by the way he was trying to play, and we saw in the first two games the way he was trying to play, out-possessed the, the Dutch. We were there, you know, hand to gob, not believing what we were seeing at times uh, with the way we possessed and pressured them and really made it uncomfortable for the Dutch. This is a team that just beat Spain 5-1 in the, in the first game. So for me, it's the way we played, uh, but now we need to build on that because yep. losses aren't acceptable. Yep. No, I'm all for that, yep. oh, but I just don't think... Anyone expected too much different, to be honest with you, in the outcomes. Perhaps not nine goals. That's third one to Chile. We're trying to win the game. Yep. No dramas there. Like Japan, um, losing two when they were playing against somebody, trying to win the game. Yep. So I don't mind that. Spain were too good to the world champs. I'll wear that too, as long as you have a crack at it. Mm. That's what I like. But some people suggesting the Socceroos are Bendigo Gold, <laughs> as opposed to Brisbane or St Kilda. No, well, they're in the same competition, so they've got to be somewhere down the bottom. The lowest ranked in that competition. <laughs>